This week's guest is Lucinda Wright, who is the co-founder and CEO of Cask and Kettle, a craft cocktails company serving up at-home hot cocktails. Cask and Kettle is a high-proof K-pod that you pop into your brewing system and you have yourself a hot cocktail in a matter of seconds. Our conversation with Lucinda covers the origin story of Cask and Kettle. We discuss how Lucinda's extensive experience in the food and beverage industry played a major part in getting this product created and a market in a relatively decent time period. We also talk about the hurdles encountered bringing this product to market, and Lucinda discusses what it's like to be a female founder in the beverage and spirits industry that is heavily male-dominated. And you can check out all the Cask and Kettle offerings at caskandkettleusa.com. Lucinda is a terrific guest. Enjoy the show. The presenting sponsor of the industry podcast is Rick Baroncelli at The Case for Wine. Rick has everything that uh, wine lovers are looking for, whether you are a bar, a restaurant, or just a private consumer. Rick has the perfect wine for all of your wine situations, all regions, all price ranges. Email rick at rick at thecaseforwine.com. Welcome to the industry, po- industry podcast. Easy for me to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we should probably get the name of the show right. Uh, the Industry Podcast. Got it. Perfect. Uh, I'm Kip. This is Dan. What's going on with you, buddy? Uh, not too much. Uh, just my usual uh, routine. Go to work, come home, complain, yep. uh, and then go back to work again. Okay. So, yeah, nothing's changed. Same thing. Five years in a row. Yourself, how are things going with you? How's business at the bars? It's picking up finally. So that would be Sugar Run in downtown Kitchener at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram or Babylon Sisters Wine Bar Uptown Waterloo at Babylon Sisters Bar. Um, We have a big show coming up at Sugar Run in July, actually. You should be looking out for a bunch of events at Sugar Run coming up. We have Burlesque at the end of the month. We have the return of the Soup of the Day comedy, Comedians from New York, led by Mike Terry. That's coming back in July, so look forward to that. And also the Brown Man Ali Electric Trio will oh, be nice. yes, performing in July as well. So you're going to want to pay attention to our Instagram to get all the info on where, where and when these events are happening. Uh, well, where is Sugar Run? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so if you're interested in the show, then you should help us out by uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing. That helps out a great deal. And if you want to be a guest on the show... It's info at the industrypodcast.club for email, or you can DM us directly at the industry podcast on Instagram. Zach Hanna does the artwork, and so always a big shout out for him. That's Zach at ZachHanna.co for all your graphic arts needs. That's right. And everything we talk about, you can always find the links in the show notes that I always fill out in the podcast. Okay, great. Well, let's get to it. Uh, we have a great guest as always. Lucinda Wright is with us, coming to us from Battle Creek, Michigan. How are you, Lucinda? I'm well. Hey, guys. Hey, everyone. Hi. Thanks for coming on the show. Definitely appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, look forward to it. All right. So uh, let's start by talking about cask and kettle. Tell our listeners exactly what it is. It is a boozy K-pot. Mm-hmm. So think a liquid, concentrated, hard coffee and cider. And the Keurig machine is merely diluting it. Or since it's liquid, concentrate, hard coffee, you can just add hot or cold water. So we are uh, we're bringing the heat, if you will, into the spirits industry because everything is cold or ambient, as you know. Everything's in a can or a bottle, and we're in a 40 ml um, K pod. Mm-hmm. We have go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I would say a quick question. So before, you, so you're saying you don't actually need the machine to use it? You, you can don't. just use you could heat up some water and and yep, work. you can you can. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, we developed it because there are. In the U.S., over 40 million households have Keurig sitting on the counter. Right. So they're sitting there. They're done with their thing. It 
10 or whatever. And, you know, I'm the kind of person that orders the Spanish coffee with dessert at a restaurant or brews it up when I'm on vacation at the ocean and takes it out the catwalk and sips, you know, looking at the moon. So I am a evening, you know, hard coffee uh, and, and a cocktail diva. I'm a coffee diva, a cocktail diva, and, you know, mix it all up. So those Keurigs out there, we decided to turn into bartenders, frankly. Right. And, and it's not easy to do technically, but right. the only way you can make this stuff taste good is, you, you know, powders and granules and all that stuff is not the way to go. You can't get a high proof. And right. so what it is, is oh. it's a shot of distilled spirits, a combination of spirits in some cases, a highly concentrated liquid coffee and liquid natural flavors mm-hmm. in that pod. And so you just pop it in, hit the button, boom, add it, you know, add the creamer, oat milk, ice cream, whatever it's going to do. I cook with it as well to concentrate uh, and go. Or if you don't and you're out camping, you know, traveling in a hotel, whatever, then I just add uh, water, creamer, and nuke it for 65 seconds. Oh, and okay. If you like it cold, I don't understand it. I'm a hot girl all day long. <laughs> you know, the kids kids and the cold stuff so if you want it uh cold then you just add a couple of ounces of cold water put it in the shaker shake it a little bit of creamer it frosts up nice and put it in a pretty glass and then you've got a coffee martini oh wow that's great yeah okay so talk to us a little bit about how you came up with this idea i mean obviously you like coffee and you like spirits so that has a lot to do with it but like was this just like a light bulb that went off for you at one point or how did you come no, it's really, it's really not a, it's not a sexy story. Uh, so <laughs> I, forget it's, it not, it's, it's not, it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's not a wow story. So I'm at the end of my career and I spent, you know, decades in CPG in non-booze. I spent my whole life in food and beverage non-booze. And the, the most recent job before we launched this business was with an innovation consultancy out of Battle Creek called JPG Resources. So I managed the strategy, marketing, sales, innovation team, and my counterparts managed other parts of the, of the uh, consultancy. Now, hopefully, I'm not the only one that's had this, but we were in a monthly budget meeting. And let's just say the discussion wasn't friendly. It was okay. not a it was a loving meeting. It was not a it was not a esprit de corps where we love each other. It was a cranky meeting. And so the head of supply chain asked me if I wanted coffee, and I'm a known coffee diva, and I said, not unless it has booze in it to get me through this meeting. And he's like, Well, I think we can actually do that. I'm like, Well, you think so? He's like, Yeah, we're working in some concentrates and some extracts. And I'm like, Really? So, and when you work for a consultancy like that, an innovation consultancy, once you start doing that, then the mood broke. Everyone was brainstorming. Everyone was, you know, laughing. It broke the mood. It took us a year and a half, though. So, technologically, it's very, very difficult in just a 40 ml to get something that can withstand dilution as much as this has to withstand and still deliver to a coffee lover, cocktail lover, you know, um, you know, spirits lover. It's not easy to do. And there's only one distillery we found in the whole country that had the packaging, brewing, you know, ability, flexibility, and they're in Temperance, Michigan. So just finding a distillery that could do it, doing the product development really difficult and then when you're disruptive because we're bringing we're the only hot thing in the entire spirits world 
Really? Then you have to convince distributors, retailers, you know, to give you a chance because nothing else is like us. So right. then you have to you have to just you have to prove your way in. You have to you know get them to crack the door open, prove your way in, uh, and then do a good job. Consumers have loved us from day one. Like mm-hmm. consumers think it's you know the best things in sliced bread, but from a startup you know point of view, it's not always about whether you know the average Joe loves your brew and, and wants you. It's about all of the other things you have to do to get to market, especially in this industry. Right. Well, and if you're looking to consume some wine, then the guy you're looking to talk to is Rick Baroncelli at rickatthecaseforwine.com. He has all the wines you want, and he also deals in spirits as well. And since we're on the spirit side of things, he has amazing pink pepper gin. So spirit products, wine products, Rick Baroncelli, rickatthecaseforwine.com. Okay, getting back to your story. So I'm kind of fascinated by how all this all comes together because I don't know that much about the distilling process. Like you obviously need a separate distillery. And before we start recording, you were saying that the distillery is not in Battle Creek. It's in Temperance, which is amazing. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the birthplace of uh, Prohibition. Mm -hmm. I know. Super. The irony is hot. The irony is hot. And, and so are the drinks. <laughs> yeah, right, right. There you go. But the distillery, those guys are really creative. They're really creative. The president of the distillery is a huge supporter of ours, really believes in it. So they've been partners when they didn't have to be, you know, early on when I'm like, just believe me. You know, we've done the consumer testing. People love us. Trust me, trust me. So, but they're the only one. They're the only ones that have the packaging equipment, the kettle, because we're actually brewing, obviously. I mean, this has got to be heated up and, and all these ingredients and then put into these tiny little pods. And it's not a it's not your normal distillery. It's not your normal process. No, definitely not. And so I'm assuming they're distilling other products there too. But yeah. they just deal with yours just you sort of lease their work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're partners and we have some change parts. I mean, we we I we come all of our founders, again, we're old, right? So we come with lots of you know decades of supply chain, plants, food and beverage. It wasn't in spirits. I spent my whole life though in food and beverage, non-spirits. But we, you know, I know my way around a few plants. I worked at Meyer and started up their own brand, grocery, um, you know, global sourcing. So I've been around the world uh, buying products from Coleman's everywhere to right. uh, to funnel into the Meyer system. So we we know a few things and we like to think we're really good partners right. with um, with people who partner with us. Yeah, we were going through your resume. It's pretty impressive. So you have done a lot of things and at a very high level in many massive companies. So all that experience that you have in production and marketing and like, I mean, it, it seems like it was almost inevitable that at one point you would start doing something for yourself. You got like, you know how to do everything. Yeah, that's what that's what one of their founders said to me. He's like, Luce, you know, we worked our whole career to be able to do this. If we were younger, we, we always say the younger generation is very entrepreneurial. And I think that's amazing. It's amazing that they're that, they're that entrepreneurial. Having said that, it would be difficult, I think, if you didn't have the network that we have, the experience that we have, if you want to be disruptive, especially in food and beverage, which is just such a massive category. And there isn't much investment money. It's mostly tech you know, life sciences, that's where the money really is. So, you know, it's hard for younger people to do it. But yes, you're right. I worked in, you know, supply chain. I've been VP of marketing at a large CPG company. 
I've run innovation. I've been on the buy sell side in M and I've worked for a retailer and consulting. Started up help people start up their businesses. And what we said is we've helped other people realize their dream. And if we found the big idea, we would do it. Right. And this was the big idea. So I stepped out three years ago from making any money. <laughs> yeah, was that pretty tough? Company. Pretty tough to, to do that without a safety net and stuff like that and just say, yeah. you know what, I'm going up for it. Yeah, well, I've been married 40 years this August. Oh, and wow. my, yes, yeah. yes. And, and my husband and I have, have been mutually supportive of each other's careers our whole life. And I've done a lot of things, as you said, I've, you know, I've, I've made pretty big changes in my career to do interesting things. And he's always been supportive just as I have. He's in public education. He's a superintendent of a public school. Oh. So he has separate. Well, my apologies. Startup, to founder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Startup founder and superintendent. Yeah. You can imagine our household. Yeah. Ooh. So when you're sort of putting together all of these ideas and then you yeah. come up with your product, now you need, you need to find a way to market. You obviously had the experience there. Yep. How has the reaction? You said the consumers are liking it. To me, so I was talking to Dan before we started recording and feel free to correct me, but it's just like, it seems like a bit of a niche thing where like people are looking for hot cocktails. Maybe like you said, if they live near a beach or something, they take a walk by the beach or if they're like around Christmas time, I can see it being huge because people always like boozy cocktail around then. But are you finding that uh, people are digging it pretty much year round? Yeah. So I don't know if you guys coffee drinkers by any chance. Yeah. Are yeah. You, a lot. Are you hot or cold coffee drinkers? Hot. Hot primarily. Yeah. Mm. So when it's 90 degrees outside, do you still get up and drink a cup of hot coffee? Yeah. Yeah. When, <laughs> when it's 90 degrees outside, you're still eating hot meals. That's and true. You've been switched yeah. to an all cold thing. So. I mean, that's what consumers do. They really don't, you don't change. If anything, coffee and booze together hot globally, some of the strongest cultural backgrounds for that kind of consumption is near, is in the hottest parts of the world. And in the U.S., hot coffee consumption is ubiquitous. I mean, just think of Starbucks. Right. That's really what this is. Starbucks is everywhere and they don't shut down for anything. And they do okay. sell ice, but the vast majority is hot coffee. Mm-hmm. And so every it sells well everywhere, but it actually skews higher in the hot weather states huh. than it does in the cold weather states. So because we're also at home drinking, that's really what we are. I mean, that's right. that's the core of it. And so people are home and, you know, if you don't have air conditioning, I guess, but, you know, most people do. And they don't really change consumption. This was true on non-spirits, too. I mean, it used to be in the cereal industry. I come out of, you know, Kellogg's. People would say, well, you know, you're 50 now. You're going to eat oatmeal. No, guess what? If you didn't eat oatmeal <laughs> at six, you're not at 60. You know? so, so, so tricks aren't for kids. <laughs> and, yeah. And if you, if you ate Fruit Loops at 20, <laughs> guess what? At you're night, you're filling it up yeah. and hiding out, eating, you yeah. know, Fruit Loops. So, uh, so no, we... People consume coffee and spirits, 365. Hmm. They do. And we did some consumer testing, though. So in the industry, I'm, you know, I've spent, you know, 20 years testing new ideas with consumers. So when we came up with the idea, the first check I wrote, the first $10,000 I wrote was to do consumer validation for this reason. I had no interest in walking away from a nice, healthy salary (laughs) and career 
<laughs> to do, you know, something, something that's not going to sell. Something. I guess that's a good point. You probably knew yeah. what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, no. It's really a good question. And this is, yep. this is about industry. Like I, I'm happy yeah. to share it. And so just like we would tell any client, you know, just because you love it doesn't mean anybody else is going to love it. Right. And if they do love it, can you make money? Like for what you're going to have to charge, is anybody going to buy it? So all of that stuff we did right away. First thing I did was do that. And I have, again, four huge companies where I've done this kind of work. And there's only been one other idea in 25 plus years that has as high a consumer excitement as this did. Oh, really? What was it? consultancy had our hands in that too. It's a beer spent grain idea. So when it came back with... 80 to 93% top two box, regardless of who you were, if you were a light, medium, heavy cocktail drinker, or coffee drinker, or men, women, age. I mean, you just don't get those numbers. You just don't. It's like a mm-hmm. once in a career kind of consumer re- response. And if I didn't have that, I will tell you that I would have given up on you know launching this business, given the hurdles that you have to go through for something disruptive in an industry like spirits. If I didn't know that from the beginning and have that assurance and have the consumer feedback today, you know, you'd give up. You, yeah. you know, startups would give up. You know who always has good feedback oh. is Rick Baroncelli <laughs> at Rick for the Case of Wine. You should check him out because he's got the 2019 Blueprint Cabernet Sauvignon from Lael Vineyards. And this is a stunning cap from Napa Valley. And 10% of the proceeds from Blueprint Wine go to the organizations fighting climate change. So you can feel good about drink, getting drunk on Cab Sove with Rick Baroncelli. Rick at the case for wine.com. Rick at the case for wine.com. Okay, Lucinda. So, yeah, you, de- you get all this research done. And so you know what you're doing. And, and then you were talking about some of the hurdles you've had to go through as a new startup. I did see in your uh, profile that you're one of only 4% of women who are like at the yeah. top, the head of a, of a spirits comp- based company. <clears throat> yeah. So, so women own, owned and, and run companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's less than, it's actually, you know, less than a couple of percent, but just to be, you know, fair and make yeah, sure yeah. we're not exaggerating. It's let's call it 5%, you know, we'll get right. really, you know, yeah. we'll go really high here. Yeah. So yeah, there just, there isn't and now. I mean, that, in food and beverage in general, non-spirits, women are a lot more prevalent, especially over the last, I would say, 15, 10 to 15 years. But in the world of spirits or adult beverage, whatever you want to call it, you know, to this day, people will call me the sales lady. One of our other founders, Pete, they'll say to me, well, your boss, Pete, you know, said to do blah, 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 which oh, wow. just, it, it, it like totally makes him uncomfortable, right? I tease him about it. Well, you know, he gets to be the boss of me, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> he's not. So yeah, it's just, it is, we're a disruptive product. We went to market disruptive because in the world of booze, you go on premise with bars and restaurants. And when you get big, you go into retail chain, but we went retail, our strategy is retail chain right away. One, I'm comfortable with it. Two, we're at home drinking, so it makes sense. Right. And we're, you know, in a format that's much more train driven, not uh, chain driven. So I didn't, we weren't trying to be disruptive in the go-to-market strategy. It's not like I wanted to, but we did. And then, yes, to be led um, and run by a woman. And also the investment money that's out there for startups, already women get, you know, a couple of percent of, of that and then you add alcohol on top of it, and it's it's like a unicorn, you know, right. kind of thing. 
So I don't say that any of that to be whining or to complain in any way, shape or form. It's just that's the brutal reality. So for the women out there, you should go for it. I did. And I knew it would be hard. Don't get me wrong. I didn't know it would be hard. However, I did underestimate exactly how hard. I wouldn't undo it where, you know, we push through. And if you're the kind of person that takes no for an answer, then I wouldn't do it. If you're the kind of person that sees no as a, okay, how do we get to a yes kind of person, then you, you could do it. Right. And so you were mentioning earlier before we started recording it, uh, some of the issues with distribution as well. Can you explain some of the sort of problems or, or roadblocks that the distribution phase of the operation gives you? Well, so so the, the state and the federal government require the beer and wine can go directly to a consumer. Oh. Okay, so if you're if you're a wine brand or you know winery or you're beer, you can go directly to consumers. Distilled yeah. spirits. Sorry, I got to stop you right here because this is just a perfect time to say that. Yeah, if do you it. want if you want wine to go right to you as a consumer, <laughs> do it. Then you're yeah. going to want to talk to Rick Parencelli, Rick at thecaseforwine.com. Uh, check him out. He's got all the wine you need. Rick at thecaseforwine.com. Sorry, go ahead. Go right ahead. Listen. No, no and you should. You're <laughs> you should go get the wine. But on the on the distilled spirit side, we're not allowed to do that. Right. So there's there's no path directly to consumers. And so we are legally state by state required to go. We sell to a distributor who sells to a retailer who does all of that. Right. Now, in the world of alcohol, you know, just like anything else, I've worked for a big company. I work for Calix and I ran Raisin Brand and Corn Flakes. OK, so I, I know what it's like to work on a mega brand. And that's where the sales effort goes. And where distributors obviously have the bulk of their business or it's concentrated in those large players. And then you have us come along. And in the spirits world, they think coffee is niche. Mm-hmm. It makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> I, I laugh even saying it to you guys. But they do. They really think. They think coffee is niche. And, I, and so then I have to say, so you wouldn't want a piece of Starbucks business boozed up. Like, right. <laughs> you're thinking, yeah. you're you saying to Starbucks, right? Yeah. You know, that, that, that little tiny company that sells hot coffee in every corner, 365 around the freaking world. But yeah. okay. Yeah, see, no, you, take you a pass on that. It's yeah. <laughs> so they think it's niche. They think, oh, like two people will do it, whatever. They're used to the emphasis being on bars and restaurants. And then they have a couple of people calling on chains. We're the opposite uh-huh. of that. And you really have to sell mm-hmm. like you do versus explain how my tequila is different than your tequila or my Chardonnay is different than your Chardonnay. Like I've had to do that. Raisin yeah. Van Cornflakes, been there, right? right. Like I've sure. done that. I'd rather have my challenges than have to say why my canned cocktail is better than your canned cocktail. But distributors and, and buyers um, are more familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Than us walking in and saying, hey, we can incrementally grow your business because we play nicely with all these guys. Right. Uh, we don't we're none of these drinking occasions and we're at home. Um, and here's the incremental shopper data that proves it. You know, Jack's in the cart, Anger Orchard's in the cart, Jameson's in the cart and us. Right. And we knew that going into it. And now we've been in business long enough to have the data to to prove that to them. But they're still just nervous about it. If, mm-hmm. if we get buyers that have worked at other desks at a chain, then they get it and we're good. 
if we get buyers that are wine buyers and spirits buyers their whole life or distributors, same mm-hmm. thing, then it's it's just an uphill battle. We do it. I do it every day, but it's not for the faint of heart. And it's incredibly difficult to do. It's like if, if it were a 10.0 dive difficulty, this is like a 20. Right. Oh. Yeah. Do you have partnerships with major grocery stores now as well? So like talk to us about which ones and how many states are you in? How many countries are you in? Well, we were approved to sell in 20 states. Okay. I don't prioritize those 20 all equally because again, we're, we're relying on the distributor sale. They have to sell. Right. So, um, but in reality, really we sell. Right. That's just the reality of it. That's not a, again, not a complaint, no, that's no. not a criticism. So Meyer, for instance, if you guys are used to the Michigan market or the Great Lakes, you're familiar with Meyer Supercenter. Do you been in a Meyer store? Yep. I've been in one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So Meyer gave us, they didn't have to, they took a shot on us a couple of years ago and they gave us a chance over the holiday season to be featured and we killed it. And so then they brought us again back last year. And then we were on the center Algand. For those of you who weren't in the booze world or maybe not in food and beverage, the you know, when you go into a large store, there's a there's a shelf in the middle of the aisle that's called the center Algand. And that's where all the big boys play. That is the Mac Daddy positioning. That's the Super Bowl positioning in our world. And so at Meyer last holiday, we had four facings of our product on the Gund, and we were like number three. Oh, wow. So we outsold some people, I'm not going to tell you, that would be household names to you. <laughs> and, and we grew 69% over the prior year where we were featured. Holy and shit. so our year-over-year growth was killer. We performed with the big guys and better than a lot of them, which is great. And we're only in Michigan, a $13 ring and most distilled spirits or, or adult beverages are more like 20, 30, 40, whatever. So we had to sell a lot more units Mm -hmm. to generate the sales to hang with these guys. And we did it. And so we'll, you know, and then that gave us that performance allowed me to call Kroger and say, Hey, would you, would you let us prove our way in, in, in the Great Lakes? And, and they're like, okay, you think you can name that tune in four notes? Shows my age with that. You, you do that. I love that show. And so way. we did it. And so we just, you know, a couple of weeks ago got the call. Okay, now where you were in test last year, we're putting you on the gun. So you're a mandatory push out. And so now we're asking for, you know, other stores to prove our, our way in. So all we've ever asked for is a chance, mm-hmm. and then it's on us to deliver the performance to get the the repeat from the the um, the retailer right. or, or any partner. Yeah, and I, I could again. I mentioned earlier. It seems like a no brainer around the holiday season, like Thanksgiving, Christmas. Like people are going to be all over that. Yeah, but then the total wines of the world. So the big guys gave us that, and now we're expanding our distribution. So at Meyer, for instance, we'll move hopefully, over into permanent distribution. But Total Wine, are you familiar with Total Wine? No. So they're like, um, they're all booze. So what would be an equivalent? um, Like here we call it the LCBO in Ontario. It's just a liquor store. Yeah, 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 exactly. So they're all across the, the U.S. 
And um, matter of fact, I was just in the Grand Rapids. There are five of them in Michigan, but they're big in California, Florida. They're down. They're they're big. That's all they do is booze. So you walk in, and it's like a treasure hunt of like booze dump right. that you're you're doing. So they brought us in on permanent distribution all five of our SKUs last year, and we were number seventeen the last six oh, months. Wow! Holy shit! And we're not even in the right set. Because we're, we should be with cordials, and we're not. And we're in with the canned cocktails. We're in with Girls Gone Wild. And we, right. need to be in chill, <laughs> we need to be in chill, relax, kick back, yeah, which is yeah. where we aren't. Uh, so even in Girls Gone Wild, we were number 17 out of all of that category. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, exactly. But it's so, a very unique product, right? So that's the thing. It's, you're going to stand out on your own. And if you, and you obviously know how to market it. So like your marketing expertise combined with the fact that it is a very unique, original product it, it, it sort of makes sense to me that you're getting such great numbers. So I guess the big thing after that is to make sure you get return customers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, got it. Yeah. The nice thing, you're right, I CPG all the way, right? So the first thing I did with Meyer is went to Catalina. You guys familiar with Catalina couponing? So um, they have access to the store data. They can see in your household what you buy. So we target people who buy K-cups and who drink spirits, who buy spirits. And then you push a coupon out to them and then oh, you, gotcha. you yeah, do yeah, that, yeah. Right? right? So because we because we do that, and I, that helps me sleep at night. Getting distribution, for those of you who have businesses, is only half the battle. The really hard part is getting it to pull off and having repeat business. Right. And so because we use Catalina um, as a targeting and a couponing incentive partner, we, we know what our repeat is. And our VP was, so the goal in spirits is to get to a 20% repeat by six months okay. or more. And if you don't, you fail. So right. lots of people never get there. We were at 20% in um, 11 weeks. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we don't have a repeat problem yep, at all. Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no, no, we do not have a repeat problem. And we have, you know, we've got four hard coffees and one hard cider, and the coffees are decaf. This is night because it's high proof spirits. Um, I didn't want to get into a four loco situation. So the coffees are nighttime, nightcap, evening, um, drinking. Oh, they're all decaf. All decaf, okay. and then there's a cider because right. the, the ABVs in the cup range 25 to 38%. Right. And then you're just diluting it from right. there. So high proof spirits and caffeinated coffees and no go. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if you do that, what are you a brunch drink on the weekend? Yeah, exactly. I want to be a Wednesday night kickback. No, a Thursday I, yeah, night kickback. that's right. You almost like sort of yeah. um, niche yourself too far because like, like way said, too far. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what I was thinking from before. I didn't realize that they were all decaf. So all decaf. I, yeah. So I was like, oh, it seems like a, a little bit too niche, but now that makes sense to me. So. Okay, what are the flavors of the cocktails? Okay, so um, we have the iconic Irish coffee. Mm -hmm. Iconic meaning it's Irish whiskey. See, I never realized so many people thought that Irish coffee was really Bailey's and coffee, and that would be called Bailey's and coffee. Yeah. But <laughs> Irish coffee is Irish whiskey, yep. and then we cocktail it up. So we add vodka, which actually makes it more drinkable, by the way. So okay. for those of you who are out there in the bar and restaurant world, I mean, I'm I was an orderer of all that stuff, but a lot of it's just so strong you can't finish the whole thing. It's mm -hmm. not enjoyable. So we take the Irish whiskey; it's very Irish whiskey forward, but we we add vodka to make it take the rough edges down. Espresso, sugar because it's iconic, and then the consumer just finishes it off with a little bit of creamer. 
Right. Gotcha. And the Buena Vista Cafe in San Francisco was my aspirant. They, they served like 2,000 of those bad boys a week. Yeah. So I went there and did my share of like drinking to, you know. <laughs> well, you got to right. do your and proper I'm, research, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying we're as good, but but that was the aspirant. So that's always going to be number one. Then from there, um, they're all pretty equal. And we did a turf analysis to make sure that anything we added was incremental. I don't really want to have a bunch of, um, you know, varieties that everyone's just switching off. They bring in different people. So after that, we have a hot blonde, mm-hmm. which is like a boozy vanilla latte. That's really okay. what it is. So mm-hmm. dark roast, a multi vanilla, vodka, you add cream or you latte it up. You add Bailey's, there's your Bailey's. Anybody who's a Bailey's drinker, hot blonde, Bailey's, boom. Um, add it to a milkshake. We have a bar in uh, New York City that takes it and does a a coffee martini with it, adds a little Kahlua or tiny bit of water, shake it, frost. They're pumping out um, huh. uh, coffee martinis with our, our hot blonde. Mm. We have a mint patty, which is like a boozy York peppermint patty in your mouth with vodka. So think, you know, dark chocolate, mint, dark roast, and vodka, a little creamer, it lattes it, or just, you know, take it straight on. But you got to be a, a York peppermint patty lover for that. And people who are love it. We have a Mexican coffee, which is tequila forward, silver tequila, sipping tequila. When I go to the te- when I go to the distillery, I I go over, I hug the Irish whiskey, I hug the tequila because <laughs> it costs so stinking much. Um, so tequila forward. Then we have a Colombian roast uh, coffee to pair with that. We made a mistake on that. We did an Italian initially. Had to kill that. That didn't work. So a Colombian roast. Little Mexican chocolate on the end. If your palate's really good, you'll pick up the berry, you know, the tequila rosé. And then last, we have a hard cider, which is a Michigan hard cider. In the fall, it'll be puck cider out of Conklin. The, it will be their apples, vodka, and uh, cinnamon. Oh, wow. Wow, they all sound delicious. And how did, yeah. so how did you... Did you have a team of people coming up with the flavor profiles for all these, or was it just you guys doing it? I did it. I did, did it. it yeah. Because... Yeah, because what we want to do is do what people already love, right? Mm. All we're doing is making it easier. So in each of these, there are like eight to 10 ingredients. So again, coming out of CPG, we're layering the flavor. No bar or restaurant or consumer could actually replicate the recipes in this. You just don't have, you just don't have the ingredients to do it. So we did all that work. All we're doing is making it easy as a liquid concentrate for people to just go do it. And then because it's so flexible... You can throw it in and have milkshakes. We, you know, they make killer frostings. I mean, it's really just a base um, that you couldn't do on your own to make it delicious tasting. Right. So that's that's the whole positive outcome of, yeah. of the recipe itself. Then, therefore, all we did was research to say, what are the pop- Irish coffee? Always going to be number one. Then mm-hmm. I looked and said, okay, well, what's Starbucks number one holiday? We launched Mint Patty specifically for Holiday Inn Out. We thought it was just going to be in and out. Well, mint lovers are like freaks. They were like, no way. <laughs> yeah. They went like hard at that thing. So we have not been able to in, in out that at all. And then the hot blonde, I know coming out of cereal and, and um, food and beverage, that the multi vanilla is like the money, is like the money shot on the flavor side. I always knew that would be the ubiquitous, you know, everyone will love it kind of thing. And then tequila is hot, hot, hot. It just is. Yeah, it is. And yeah. so Mexican coffee is a little bit more of a zealot. I mean, people who are into the the tequila that does tend to skew, not always, I'm just going to say male, but yeah, 
I just did a sampling of Total Wine and, you know, it's, it's men, women, it's basically people loving tequila. So that one is the one people are most maybe unfamiliar with, but when they try it, they're hardcore zealot on our online business that is run. Um, we can take the orders, but we can't ship it. As I said earlier, you push that to a retailer. Our Mexican coffee is the most zealot order. The number, I think the record now is some some guy ordered 10 at one time so that people oh, go wow. hard on that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, we never got to this part when we were talking about distribution. Do you have a plan for a more global distribution? Like, are you going to try and push it out to other countries? Basically, we want to get yes. somewhere. So. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I had, so we were at Expo West. I talked the team into doing it because of my background. And I probably had 20 Canadians like come to me begging yeah. and I, and they begged me for the product at the end of the show. They're like, please let, please let me take this home with me kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, don't get stopped at the border. Don't get stopped at the border. <laughs> so <laughs> I, there's a lot of requests out of Canada. The first people that found us when we launched were the Brits. Oh, really? Like, the Brits yeah. found us like this. And then we trademarked in Asia. Um, we've had people ask for samples out of South America, Europe. I didn't know Israel it's like has Keurigs out the wazoo. But it's really more where people drink booze and coffee together because we're liquid. Again, the Keurig's not that big of a deal. But in the areas where, you know, coffee and booze together is a cultural, you know, culturally popular, mm-hmm. then yes, I would do it. But we're such a tiny company that I don't have enough bandwidth right now to handle the U.S. and grow it and spend time on the export side. So I know we need to do that. I know the demand is out there to do that, but I just need some partners to, you know, frankly, help figure that out. For sure. Because, yeah, I'm going to have to disappoint all the Canadians that I said, okay, I'll try to figure this out. (laughs) And I know we're figuring it out. Well, they're going to get really jealous in this show because apparently we have some uh, gift packs on the way to us. So (laughs) tell us, tell our listeners where they can find out all about your product with the website, et cetera. Yeah. So caskingkettleusa.com. Okay, great. Find where to buy us and read more about us. Well, thanks so much, Lucinda. We appreciate you coming on the show. It's an awesome product. Or at least I haven't tried it yet, but it sounds awesome. Well, well, uh, if Lucinda sends us some uh, samples, we're going to drink them on the show. So, yeah, well, I'll talk you through it too. Yeah, you can uh, have fun with it. Awesome. Thanks again, Lucinda. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.